Well, welcome. Welcome to another day going through the Word of God. And uh, I really enjoyed this journey through the book of Colossians. And uh, we're going to finish it up with the last few verses today. And I hope that uh, if you haven't had a chance to go back and watch the previous videos uh, for this book, please go ahead and do that. Uh, it, it really is an amazing book. It just contains so much truth for us. And uh, settled truth is what it contains for us. Uh, as I always say, if you haven't... Uh, subscribe to my uh, social media platforms. I would ask that you would do that just simply so you can like, comment, and, and share these uh, videos. Uh, my, my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards, my Facebook page, Anthony P. Richards, my Instagram, AP Richards. Um, and I know you ha you ha many of you haven't done it and you listen to me every day and, and whatever, but I'm asking you to. So there you go. I mean, if, if I'm asking you, to, I'm not asking you to jump off a bridge. I'm just asking you to subscribe to a channel. Um, you might like Facebook, but there might be other people who only, you know, get on YouTube. Uh, there might be people you know who are only on Instagram. I don't know. Uh, what I do know is that uh, the, I'm trying to do my best to make these available to as many people as possible. Okay, let's get into the end of uh, Colossians chapter 4. Now, at the end of verse 6, Paul's really ended his uh, doctrinal and practical application content to the church in Colossae. And now he's about to do something that is very much a hallmark of Paul's writing um, is that he wanted to be very personal. And I tell you what I think is always amazing. I get very excited reading these and I'll tell you why. Because these are individuals who at the time didn't realize or think that they were anything important, but they individually ended up in the Bible, in the inspired word of God. How amazing for them. Uh, for all these people to, to have ended up in the Bible. And we're talking about them. We will talk about them forever. Absolutely amazing. So let's see how Paul ends the book of Colossians. And let's start at verse 7 of chapter 4. Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. Apparently, the Colossian Christians didn't know who Tychicus was, uh, but he was going to be the one that actually would take this letter to them. Uh, we'll tell the, the, the news about me, he says. Now, apparently, Epaphras, who brought the news from Colossae to Paul uh, when he was in Rome, uh, read about that, Colossians 1, wasn't actually going to return back to Colossae anytime soon. So Paul sends Tychicus instead. Now, Tychicus is mentioned in Acts chapter 20, verse 4, as one of the men who came with Paul uh, from the Roman province of Asia to Jerusalem to carry the offering, the financial offering of those believers to the needy Christians of Jerusalem and Judea. And the reference to Tychicus is almost word for word identical to that contained in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 and 22. F.F. Uh, F. Bruce says, he was evidently the bearer of the letter to the Ephesians as well as this one. So Paul entrusted the delivery of the letter of Ephesians and the letter of Colossians to Tychicus. That means a lot about Tychicus. That means Paul had unwavering trust and faith in Tychicus. That's why he's in the word of God. Do you, do, do, do you have, do you have that? I, I, I want that. I want to be like Tychicus. Why, why aren't more children called that? There you go. 
probably because you'd be talking about ticking you off all the time. There you go. I don't know where that came from, but there you go. I'm trying to think of what you would shorten Tychicus to. Tick. Hey, Tick. But anyway, Tychicus was pretty amazing. Okay, let's move on to verse 9. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. Onesimus, very interesting. He was a slave and he was owned by a believer in Colossae, but he'd actually escaped and came into contact with Paul in Rome. And there is where Onesimus was converted, accepted the free gift of salvation in Jesus Christ, became a Christian and became a dedicated helper to Paul. And his story is continued in Paul's letter to Philemon. So if you want to know what happened to Onesimus, starts off here, finishes in Philemon. Uh, Paul could have written this about Onesimus as he was writing to Colossae. This is what he could have said. Uh, David Guzik, the escaped slave who I am sending back to his master. Indeed, he called him a faithful and beloved brother, and he let the Colossian Christians know that Onesimus was now one of you. Remember, he had escaped from them. Paul's now telling, hey, when he comes back, understand he's now one of you. It's not like he used to be, but I am sending him back. Verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Now, uh, Aristarchus was a Macedonian from Thessalonica in Greece. He, he was Paul's travel companion, uh, and he was with the Apostle Paul when the Ephesian mob seized him in Acts chapter 19. He was also with Paul when he set sail for Rome under his Roman imprisonment, Acts 27. And here Paul calls him my fellow prisoner. It seems that Aristarchus had an interesting habit of always being with Paul when Paul was going through a tough time, um, which means that, that says a lot about his character, right? Um, some people suggest that he actually made himself Paul's slave, like he actually put himself into a slave relationship with Paul uh, legally so that he could never be separated from him and he would have, he would have to be allowed to travel with Paul on his journey to Rome. Now, then we move on to something that is really amazing. He talks about Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. If he comes to you, welcome him. Now, Paul, you have to remember in Acts chapter 13 and 15, he's had a falling out with Barnabas about Mark, also called John Mark. Uh, and that's the guy who wrote the Gospel of Mark. Clearly, by the time that he wrote this, all was in the past. So in other words, they've mended their relationship. The grace of God working in Paul meant that time had softened him uh, towards other people who had previously offended him. F.F. Uh, F. Bruce said this, It is from this reference alone that we learn that Mark was Barnabas's cousin a piece of information which throws light on the special consideration which Barnabas gives to Mark in the narrative in Acts. In other words, Barnabas chose John Mark, his cousin, over Paul. Now, I don't know why, but it would appear to me that Barnabas chose Mark because he was blood. He was family. He couldn't turn, turn his back on his family. Yeah, Mark had actually done wrong by 
Paul. Paul wasn't willing to, Paul was willing to forgive him, but he wasn't willing to let him back in. Barnabas wanted to, why? Because he was family. How did it all work out? In the end, Barnabas, Mark, Paul, all unified for Jesus. See, it always works out. Now, because Paul identified Mark in terms of his relationship with Barnabas, it seems that the Colossian Christians actually knew who Barnabas was, uh, which was either through his reputation or through further missionary journeys that were not recorded in the book of Acts. And it reminds us that the book of Acts is an incomplete record of the history of the early church. It, it, it goes on. There was much more that happened that was not documented in it. Um, and it's continued up until this day. Okay, verse 11. And Jesus, who is also called Justice. Um, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. In other words, Jewish people. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Justice. We know nothing about Justice apart from his name, that he was Jesus, also called Justice. Um, how amazing going through life at that time and your name was Jesus. Uh, now, Justice was numbered among the previous four men, all of them comforters to Paul in his Roman custody uh, because he was, he was on trial before Caesar uh, at this time when he's writing this. And he doesn't know if he's going to die or not. He doesn't know if he's about to get the death sentence. And he says, they have proved a comfort to me. And they were his only fellow Jewish workers of the circumcision. Uh, they did a great job and they proved to be a comfort to him. Paul was in Roman custody because of a Jewish riot on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem over the mere mention of God's offer of grace to the Gentiles. You can read about that in Acts 22. So this all ends up with Paul in chains in Rome. Now, Adam Clark drew out a very logical conclusion from these words. Uh, he said, uh, oh, and which words? These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom who are of the circumcision. Okay, what did Adam Clark draw a logical conclusion about those words? Let me read it to you. It is evident, therefore, that Peter was now not in Rome. Otherwise, he certainly would have been mentioned in this list. For we cannot suppose that he was in the list of those who preach Christ in an exceptional way and from impure and unholy motives. Indeed, there is no evidence that Peter ever saw Rome or went to Rome. I just think that's an interesting observation when you consider who Peter was meant to be, uh, the, the founding, the first Pope of the, the Catholic Church in Rome, uh, and, and obviously played such an, a, a pivotal role uh, in, in church history. Uh, but it's interesting how it's not always as conclusive as we think. Always good just to be aware of these things. Okay, verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal and passion for you and those who are in Laodicea and those who are in Herapolis. Um, prayer is hard work. And Epaphras worked very diligently at it, especially knowing the danger of the false teaching that was happening in Colossae. So Epaphras prayed that the Colossian Christians would stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. What a wonderful prayer to pray for anybody. You and I could pray that over everybody we know. 
Paul called Epaphras a bond servant of Christ, which was using a phrase that he often applied to himself, but he actually never applied it to anybody else, only him and Epaphras. Um, and he did that, oh, sorry, he also did it in Philippians 1.1, which is where he spoke of himself. And he did speak of uh, Timothy together as bond servants of Jesus. So, so you've got Paul only uses that word for himself, Timothy and Epaphras. So, so Timothy and Epaphras kind of in the same vein as far as Paul was concerned. Uh, Epaphras had a great passion for the church in Colossae and Paul wanted them to know that he prayed for them, he cared for them well, and uh, he, ha he had a great passion for them. Now, I suspect he was saying that because Epaphras wasn't going back to Colossae. Even though he founded the church there, he's gone to Paul in Rome to say, hey, this is not good. Can you, you know, Paul writes the letter. Uh, Epaphras has not gone back there. He's like, no, no, no. Don't think that because he's not back there doesn't mean he doesn't have a great zeal. He has a great zeal. It's the whole point of why he came to me in the first place. Um, verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Um, now, this is the one passage in the whole Bible that tells us that the author of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts was a doctor. He was a physician. And we can also see that his works and words are written with a more scientific analytical mindset. If you read Luke 1, 1 to 4, uh, and you think of him being a doctor, you're like, ah, oh, that's why he wrote like that. And uh, they, have a, they have detail that only a physician would be interested in. Uh, Luke 4, Luke 5, Luke 8, all those things have detail that you'd be like, oh, I probably wouldn't write that. Uh, David Guzik, perhaps Luke was in Rome to deliver a document that he recently finished. Maybe he had finished the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts which probably were together a, uh, a friend of the court report explaining to the Romans why Paul stood before Caesar's court. Maybe he wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts to be accompanied by uh, you know, the, uh, the people who were going to defend Paul in the church in Rome. It's interesting, all these little nuggets that you can pull out. Uh, now, Demas, who was Demas? Demas. Um, nothing positive is said about Demas, only that he greets the Colossian Christians and therefore he must have been known to them. Now, in Philemon 1, verse 24, Demas is grouped among Paul's fellow laborers. But in the last mention of Demas in the Bible, which is the end of 2 Timothy, right at the end here, Paul said that Demas had forsaken him. Uh, and he had loved this present world and he had got on to Thessalonica, um, which I think is sad. Basically, Demas, he's been greeted, but by the time we get to the end of the Bible, Demas has turned his back on the things of God. Now, the six people who greeted the Colossians were connected with Paul in Rome uh, and during his time of house arrest and custody before he was about to appear on trial with Caesar. This shows that during his imprisonment, Unlike the later one described at the end of 2 Timothy, Paul, even though he was chained, enjoyed at least the occasional company of friends and associates, and uh, he wasn't totally isolated. Verse 15, greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphas and the church that is in his house. Now, there is a lot in this. In, again, like I said, these last few verses, man, they contain a lot. 
Laodicea. This was the same city that was mentioned in the scathing rebuke of Revelation chapter 3. And it was a neighboring city to Colossae, uh, along with Herapolis. And Nymphus, um, we don't know whether this actually refers to a female or a male. We don't know. Um, some manuscripts have the masculine form, others have the feminine form. What we do know is that he had a church in his house. Now, you have to remember that there were no church buildings when the church, the church capital C first started, Body of Christ, um, a few years after Jesus' death, Paul's teaching. Um, the early church met in house churches. Now, because there were few houses that were large at that time, there were usually several house churches in a city with a pastor or an elder over each one of them, and they were connected together. They were not independent. That, that's one of the issues that, that, uh, that arises when people um, bring themselves into relationship with an isolated group of people in a house church, and they don't appoint an elder, and they don't appoint a pastor, and they're not in community with other churches. Um, Paul says, listen, if you're going to do that, make sure that you are connected with other people. Be a part of a collective. And also make sure that there is always a pastoral leader over you. Now, that gets very awkward um, because people don't want to do that. Who, who wants to be the, the boss, the pastoral? Who wants to be the spiritual boss in a house church of 12 people? Uh, two dangers there. One, everybody becomes you know, false humility. Like, oh, well, I, I, no, I'm not really good enough to do that. Um, or opposite, too much pride. And the person says, uh, yeah, that's me. I'm obviously called to do that. And then they start to become a dictator and they start to abuse people. Um, so F.F. Bruce says such house churches were apparently smaller circles of fellowship within the larger fellowship of the city. Ecclesia was the Greek word that was used here. So God's... You know, God's calling for the use of house churches in this time was that they would never be separate from the rest of the body of Christ. William Barclay, we must remember that there was no such thing as a special church building until the third century. Up until that time, Christian congregations met in houses of those who were the leaders of the church connected to each other. Do you understand? Always connection. Now, I'm not anti-house churches. Um, but if you're going to have house churches, two things that must be present. One, the ability to find you. But you, If you're going to have a house church, how are people going to find you? You've got to solve that. Number two, there's got to be spiritual authority within that house church. Number three, there must be connection with other churches, the greater C, big C, body of Christ. Okay, isn't that amazing? We can get just so much out of that. Just amazing. Verse 16, now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Interesting. Okay. When Paul and the other apostles wrote letters to churches, the churches were just, the, the letters were read out uh, publicly to the congregations. It was a way for the apostle to teach that church even when he couldn't personally be there. Now, Church of the Laodiceans, it was general practice to distribute all apostolic letters among the churches, especially those that were close to each other geographically. N.T. Wright, 
Here we undoubtedly have the principal reason for the preservation of Paul's letters in the sub-apostolic period and their eventual adoption as part of the canonical New Covenant New Testament books. Their author intended them to carry in writing the authority which had been invested in him as an apostle. So that helps us understand how and why these letters were copied almost immediately. As soon as they were received in Colossae, they would have received this and they would have copied it all out and sent it on to Laodicea. Um, it also allows us to understand how slight mistakes in copying the manuscripts you know, could have come in at an early time. Notwithstanding the sovereign power of God through the Holy Spirit, to have written what he wanted to have written. Now, there was another letter um, that we don't know anything about. Apparently, Paul wrote a letter to the Laodiceans that we don't have. Now, we shouldn't assume from this that the treasure of the Bible is incomplete because we don't have it. The Holy Spirit has chosen to preserve the letters that are inspired for the church in a universal sense. Paul wasn't inspired in this, time, in this way every time he set pen to paper. He wasn't Jesus, he was Paul. Which means that, yeah, he wrote the letter uh, to the church in Laodicea, but the Holy Spirit obviously didn't want it as part of the Bible. Now that could have been because Paul wrote out of his flesh to them, and the Holy Spirit didn't want to perpetuate what he wrote to, La to the church in Laodicea. It was just a reminder that Paul was a man. Verse 17. And say to Archippus, or Archippus, uh, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. Uh, the special word to Archippus is of very much special interest. See, Paul wrote another short word regarding Archippus in another letter, and he mentioned in Philemon chapter 1, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. He wrote that in Philemon. This mention in Philemon uh, chapter 1 makes some people believe that Archippus was actually the son of Philemon, since he's mentioned uh, in the context of the wife of Philemon, which is uh, Aphia, and his household, the church in your house. Uh, it actually also shows that Paul thought very highly of Archippus and valued him as an associate in God's work because he called him our fellow soldier. Now, the context of this verse in Colossians leads some people to think that though Archippus was part of the family of Philemon, he was connected with the church at Laodicea. Perhaps Archippus was the pastor of the church of Laodicea. Uh, we don't know, but maybe he was. And so, uh, uh, so he says, say to Archippus, take heed of, to the ministry. Paul wanted Archippus to be encouraged and strengthened, but he didn't actually make the appeal to Archippus directly. He actually asked that it come to Archippus through the church in Colossae uh, or the Laodiceans. So what does that mean? <laughs> um, again, isn't there so much in this? It was more fitting for the Colossians to say this to Archippus than it was for Paul himself to say it to him. He needed to hear it from the people around him. We need your ministry, Archippus. Please fulfill your ministry. And when the Colossians spoke up, then Archippus knew that his ministry was needed and wanted. Um, 
Jeremiah Dyke said this, Many an Archippus is sluggish because the Colossians in his life are silent. There you go. Selah. See, they need to say, fulfill your ministry directly to Archippus, not behind him. They don't need to whisper it behind his back. It wasn't going to do him any good. They had to say it to his face. Take heed to the ministry. This encouragement to Archippus spoke to him and to us regarding some very enduring principles of ministry. Now, what are they? What are these enduring principles of ministry? David Guzik says this. Number one, God gives ministry to his people. Number two, true ministry is received in the Lord. Number three, ministry may be left unfulfilled. That's a possibility if you and I don't play our part. Number four, one must take heed to their ministry in order for it to be fulfilled. Many people have a calling of ministry. They leave it unfulfilled because they don't take heed. They don't run after it. Number five, we should encourage others to fulfill their ministry. So I want to encourage you. If you've got a calling in your life to ministry, I don't know what it looks like. You need to fulfill it. You need to. I'm encouraging you and I'm challenging you to fulfill it. Verse 18. This salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. As was the custom in his day, Paul generally dictated his letters and then personally signed a postscript with his own hand. And, he, and what does he say? He says, remember my chains. The last words before he says, grace be with you. Remember my chains. There's so much emotion, sorrow and strength in this simple phrase because Paul not only knew the confinement and loneliness of a prisoner, he also had the uncertainty of knowing if his case before Caesar's court was going to end with him having his head chopped off or his death. And A.T. Robertson said this, the chain clanked afresh as Paul took the pen to sign this salutation. He was not likely to forget it himself that he was in chains. William Barclay, Paul's references to his sufferings are not pleas for sympathy. They are his claims to authority, the guarantees of his right to speak in the first place. And he finishes with grace be with you. Paul's conclusion is the only one possible for somebody who was the apostle of grace. Confronting a heresy that emphasized elaborate hidden mysteries and righteousness through works, which Paul dispelled all through this letter. And we can only go forward safely in the Christian life if grace is with us. Isn't that amazing? What's my final observation here? Okay. Just like all these people that we talked about, they're all important. So are you. I want to tell you this morning, today, whatever time you're looking at this, you're important. You're important. You may not be a Paul, but how awesome if you were a Tychicus or an Epaphras. How awesome if you're an Archippus. If you ever want to complain about anything in your life, think about Paul. Writing all of this, he's got execution staring him in the face, chains attached to his body clanking. And yet, his whole goal for writing this letter is that we would understand the all-sufficiency of Christ, even when we're in chains. So, fulfill your calling. Don't get caught up if you're in chains. 
and understand that God has a purpose for you. Heavenly Father, I pray blessing and encouragement over every single person watching this today. God, lift them up in their spirit, I pray. Lift them up. Allow them to see that they are somebody. They are somebody special, important, and that you have a purpose and a calling for their life. And God, I pray, Lord, even if they're in chains today, that they would be reminded that they're in chains for you and that you have not forgotten them and that the calling on their life is not going to be fulfilled, stop being fulfilled because they're in chains. But God, that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.